Hello and welcome back to Hindsight is 50-50. I'm the host, J-Rod, with my co-host, the ORG. Dad, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Big, uh, lots of football this weekend, lots of fun. Yeah. But I know that uh, we were talking about it before going on the air, and and we should, uh, I know you wanted to share a story about the boys, about your sons. <laughs> and I yeah. think people will find it amusing. So please go go ahead well anyone that's uh uh super super queasy uh not now's the time to plug your ears but uh it's not a terrible story it's pretty funny but still kind of gross but melissa and i were were in the kitchen and the boys were playing and when the boys are playing and things are starting to get a little bit quiet you always start to get a little bit nervous because you that usually means they got into something well, in this case, our youngest son, Jameson, excuse me, he comes walking over and he goes, bah! and he looks at us and he turns his palms up. <laughs> Both of his hands were, were stained in shit. <laughs> he had grabbed his own poop in his diaper. I Stuck his hands inside ever. his diaper? Yeah, and like touched his <laughs> cheeks. And so he's got poop, but it, it's like, it's not like he grabbed a hold of like a chunk. He's got it like rubbed into his skin. Like you could still see like his fingerprints and the lines oh. in his hands. Oh. Like it is in there. <laughs> and he, he's about to cry. <laughs> he's clearly upset that someone put his hands in his pants. <laughs> so, so he's looking at us. I go, oh, my God, is that shit? And Melissa's like, oh, my goodness. So she picks him up, and she runs and washes his hands. And, and Melissa works night shift. So when she gets home in the morning, she you know gives the kids breakfast, all that. And then I get up, and she gets to go to bed. So this is... This is going to be her bedtime, and we're approaching the kids' nap time, so they get a little bit restless. Um, so we're kind of in the transition. So everything's a little bit chaotic. Now there's poop on the hands. So she cleans the poop off the hands, and she gets ready to go to bed, and she goes, you know, unless you have to wake me up, please don't wake me up. I'm pretty tired. And I was like, all right, but, you know. If somebody grabs a hold of poop again, I'm getting you. <laughs> and she kind of laughs about it because, you know, we've we've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and this is the first time we've had anything like it. So she goes to bed, and it's not five minutes later. And I hear, Dad! And it's JJ, and he went to the bathroom. The three-year-old. The three-year-old. And because Jameson got so much attention from touching his own poop. <laughs> JJ, who pooped in the toilet, decided to wipe his butt with his hand. Oh. And he goes, Dad, I got poop on my hands. And I walk over. 
this is not rubbed into his hand. This is chunks of poop. Oh, <laughs> and if anyone who knows me, it's like you could puke in my mouth and I'd be okay. <laughs> if you take a shit in the same room as me, we have a problem. <laughs> So I'm like instantly gagging. I go, Melissa, get up now. Get out of bed. <laughs> I'm like, this is you. This is you. She cleans him up and she goes back to bed. And I go, did you wipe the doorknob down? She's like, no, why? And I go, well, he had shit on his hands and he opened the door to talk to me. Oh. <laughs> so she had to go back and scrub that down. <laughs> and it's just like, oh. this is the chaos we live in, of course, you know. And I well, felt bad because she you know. was tired, but. Poop is, I, I'm not good with it, man. Even after changing all the diapers I've changed, I, I still really struggle with it. Well, I don't know that anybody's happy about it, but, you know, I can. Well, she's know, a nurse, so she's. I, I know. I, that's That part I understand, but, I mean, I'm not. <laughs> trust me, it doesn't thrill me to have to deal with it, <laughs> but I can. <laughs> And, you know, take short breaths and look That's away. usually how I am with the diaper. But then when you got to put it in the diaper pail and you get yeah. like this week's worth of stale baby yeah. shit, I'm like, whoo. Like, yeah. <laughs> I used well, to, well, because of COVID, everyone was wearing masks everywhere. So we had a bunch of them, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, you still have to wear them at a lot of doctor's offices. Oh yeah. But, uh, um, yeah. so we have a bunch of them. And for the longest time I had like elbow deep rubber gloves like i was getting ready to birth a calf and uh i would wear those n95 face masks while i was changing diaper i'm good now i i still have to hold my breath but but i'm good Kids, now but it's just know, like oh i mean they test they test you in a lot of ways well and it's like what the hell did you eat i mean God, it's like you ate the rotten I mean, skin in the bottom of the garbage disposal. It smells if, so bad. If Jameson, your youngest, is anything like JJ, your oldest, JJ does not like having stuff on his hands. No. I mean, he obviously he did that to get attention. But I mean, even if he, like when he's at our house, if he eats something and it like an orange or anything where there might be some residue hands. of it on his hands, it's like he'll like, come up to me and and he's just holding out his hands like please get him clean i don't like this he's <laughs> so. always been like that like it, it took us forever and jameson's usually the opposite like jameson could fall into a pile of shit and kind of whine and then he's like whatever i don't like you could put dirt under his fingernails and he's pretty good but when it was poop he knew he couldn't touch anything and i think that's what made him upset but with jj I remember it took the longest time for us to allow him to run outside because he would go run in the grass and he'd trip and put his hands down. And it might not be wet, it might not be muddy, but he'd just even get like a little bit of sand on his hands and it was just a mental breakdown. I mean, oh, you yeah. couldn't do anything. And so he, you oh, can imagine all the play places in public with all, you know, things get sticky and all that. So <laughs> it's yeah. like from like the kids' lunches and all that. But oh, yeah. It, so I mean, you can imagine how that was, or if a little bit of rain was on a slide. Oh, well, better. you know, and Jameson, when he's eating, he doesn't care. Oh, I mean, he I think he likes to wear it more than he likes to eat it. He <laughs> well, it's he so usually weird has a, he has a lot of it on him. <laughs> yeah, he when he eats, and this is just you know one of the quirky, funny things about my son. He knows how to use a fork now. 
Uh, not super well, but he knows how to use a fork and a spoon. But he just prefers to eat by hand, which a lot of kids do. That's fine. But even though he's over one years old, he still shoves his entire hand in his mouth to eat, regardless of how big the size of the bite is. And so he's just like stuffing the like ah, stuffing his whole hand in his mouth, and like spaghetti or something. He's got it from ear to ear. Well, whenever the, you see him eating something, he's usually like you said, he's got it. If there's a trace of sauce or anything that's kind of liquid. It's ear to ear. And, and he's then he'll just, stick oh. his hands up and wipe his hair with it. Yes. He's like, this he's, is how I clean it off. He's, <laughs> into it. he's like, yeah, everything's fine. He's Melissa just... had him finger pain the other day and he loved it and tried to eat it. <laughs> that's just, that's well, just who he is. He's we, back at heart. When we have, you know, and we have six and, you know, everybody, um, uh, people who have followed this podcast, the few that have, you know, we're trying to get you acquainted with our family through the pictures and the videos and, yeah. and kind of show you who we are um, and who we were in my case, because there's a lot of old photos in there of me, but, and your mom, but um, you know, we're, we're trying to do that so that you get to know us. And that's when we talk about these things. I mean, they're just, it's real life stuff and you know uh, and and just uh, a lot of times it's the comedy of life and sometimes not the comedy but a lot of times it is the comedy but it's that scenario where like if you didn't laugh you'd cry you know right and we have you know now after saturday we had another birthday on saturday we have six grandchildren and i was talking about this in a previous podcast you know we didn't start you guys didn't start having kids till we were in our sixties. So, I mean, we probably were pretty late getting started. Girl, being <laughs> I, you said that, you said that, <laughs> but you know, now we have six and the oldest is, was three this past August, but now we have three of the six have just turned three. All right. As of Saturday, we went, you know, you were down there. We went to this, uh, I don't know what that place is called, but it's a kid's playhouse. They've got lots of rubber mats and climbing things for little kids. And it's an indoor kind of a playground facility that's all padded and stuff. And and then, you know, they have a separate area where they have the cake and pizza or whatever. And it was just a really good time. And it's fun to see all the energy of all those kids. And now, even the youngest, Dallas, was one just on December 30th. Now everybody's walking. So all six of them are walking. And like I said, the oldest are three years old now, but it was, you know, that was a good time. It's always good to see everybody. Jacob and Jennifer, um, they couldn't make it um, because Jackson was sick. And Jen but was we, sick. We were, able to, we were able to bring Juliana with us, and she was, you know, really good. She's she such was, a sweetheart. She is a doll, but she and she was really good. And I think it was kind of fun for her to go someplace with us, you know. Um, but yeah, it was it was neat to see everybody and and you know just catch up because we don't see. I mean, we talk to you guys, but we don't see you all, and especially all the grandkids. We don't see all the kids, and it looked 
just you know when you see the energy of all those little kids in this place that's designed for kids to have fun it's um it's a pretty high energy level and it's fun to watch and you know they're just there's a lot of screaming and giggling and you know running and you know they're you know they had all these pads that they were uh you know covering up your brother joe he was laying down on one of the big pads and so all the kids are grabbing little pads and you know trying to cover him up so he couldn't move did you you see mike go down the slide i did not oh (laughs) one i don't know how he got up there i mean how what age group is mike in He's in his forties, right? Yeah, and, and he's a big dude, and he's six two, six three, and you know, I I don't know his weight class, but well over two hundred pounds, I would guess. Oh, oh I at least two fifty, I guess. Okay, yeah. so two fifty and six two to six three, probably. Yeah, and he crawled through a little kid's play place like you would see at McDonald's. That's three square cubes high, three stories for the kids. And then went down a slide that is, you know, the building's that huge. So it's a pretty steep slide because it's short. And you, you kind of come out of there hot. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he flew out and hit the backstop so hard. I mean, it <laughs> echoed through that place. He was beat red. And Joe and I were in tears laughing. I mean, I he saw, just came out so hot. I saw Melissa go down the slide. Yeah. And she came down hot. <laughs> she scares me. And, and and obviously she's always got good intentions, but wherever we go, she's the parent that's playing with the kids on the plaything. <laughs> and I'm just like, we're gonna go to the ER today, aren't we? <laughs> I <laughs> like, saw Sam, <laughs> Kelly's sister Sam, go down the slide and me and she came like you said, it's a little kid slide, but it's pretty steep because it's short. And then there's the big padded backstop, and they both. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if you had an outdoor play place, like one that goes in your backyard, one of those small ones yeah. with the swing on it, yeah. it's the same steepness as that slide, but it's twice as high. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, so it, it's and super short. And you just come there. flying out. It's oh. built more like a water slide, to be honest. Well, I saw those. You know, when you had JJ's party back in this, you know. I can't remember. It must have been Jameson's party. Must have been his. At the park? Yes. Yeah, yes. that tree slide. That tree thing that's like a tube. Yes. I saw Joe come down that. And you talk about coming out hot. I cannot believe how many adults go down it. I know. And it was it's so funny because I was sitting there at the exit of the slide because and I didn't go down it, no way. But even like 12 year old, 13 year old kids, because I, the slide, I mean, it's made for everybody, but I'm sure it's made safe for little kids, like younger kids. Like JJ went down it, and, you know, and I'm sure uh, uh, Juliana went down it. But when I would see either a, a, you know, like a young, a preteen kid or a teen kid, or even an adult come down that slide, I mean, it can handle it, and it and it's designed to handle. There's some rumbling it. on the way down. But man, you hit like 
and you're out of control, man. And you hit, and it's sand at the bottom. Yeah, I mean, but the slide heels, just stops. There's like heels it, up in the air. There's, you know, hands are flailing, and it because you're out of control there, right? But it's the end, not but. even one of those slides that has like the the flat bottom where you kind of slide out, stop, and you have to climb off the edge of the slide. This is one of those slides that just stops. So you're coming out hot, and it just sends you into the dirt. And so it's in. I mean the it, for for those who I guess who haven't experienced it, the, there's this great playground that it's enormous. Um, I think it's like in the Rochester area, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, but there's a great big tree that kind of looks like an oak tree, and there's all these little slides and balance beams at the bottom. But there's a, a spiral staircase in the center, and when you go down the biggest slide that's on it, you I mean. It has to be of a, a minimum of 30 feet in the air, I, I would imagine. Yeah. I, I, it's it's at least, excuse me, three full stories when you start. So these parents are, you know, going down there, and there's two turns and then pretty much a straight-line ejection. <laughs> it's like there's it's just tons of rumbling, and then boom. And yeah. the best part is they hit so hard it doesn't hurt, but it startles them. So the person who came down... Everyone is having a riot watching it, but then the person who came down is blushing because you cannot save yourself. You're going to wipe out at the bottom. Right. And right. so that's that's my favorite part of that thing. But that I have seen <laughs> some um, uh, some larger-bodied females go down there, and oh, boy, did they come out hot. Oh, it's, it's, it's like, hilarious. Whoa. And I mean, because there's this look. In mo and it's that people share a similar look when they hit the bottom. Yeah. Because you are, you can't control. Now, I did see some kids would stop themselves. They'd put their feet out and they'd slow themselves down. Yeah. But that was only after they had gone down it several times. But when a, an adult or a teenager goes down that slide, at the very end, man, there's this moment of panic where, and it's on everybody's face because yeah. you're not in control there at the end. And I was, I mean, I was sitting there, I could have sat there all day and watched people that well, day because it was so funny. After impact that, that like the look when they're coming out of the tube is awesome, but I love their, the look on their face after impact because it's this confused look of, I had just had a lot of fun. Am I okay? Yeah. Like, Cause you <laughs> hit real hard and it's like, I don't want to be the dad that broke his hip. Like, <laughs> And who saw me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who Is saw my me? ass out right now? Yeah. Well, you know, that's the old joke, you know, and it, and I've done this many times in my life. When you slip and fall on the ice, and yeah. fortunately I haven't done it lately, the first thing I do is look and see who saw me. Look and see who, yeah. who saw me just splay, you know. <laughs> just, yeah. It, that's... Funny stuff. Funny, funny stuff. And it was, it was just a... You know, all, those get-togethers at places like that where the kids have stuff to entertain them, those th those things are a gas. I just, oh, it's great. I, it's fun to watch the kids interact with one another. And, and you know, we all have different lives, you know. Uh, I mean, Jacob and I get to play video games here and there online together, but we don't see each other a ton unless we're at your guys' place. Um, and, and Joe and Kelly kind of live a little bit off the beaten path between the three of us who are kind of like in a line, you know, me, Melissa, Jacob and Jen and, and you and mom. So 
um, we, we don't always step out there and get to see them. So it's just nice to, you know, I, I, I get to work with Joe. Sometimes I have the podcast with you. I game with Jacob. Um, and, and obviously I get to see, um, Jacob's kids a little bit more often if I'm doing exchange with you guys with our kids and and I happen to see them or you know if we're all just going to Manchester but it's good to see you know Kelly and Montana and and Dallas I don't get to see them very often so it's it's nice to get out there and it's really a, a fun time to see how the kids interact because they're getting to the age where they all have or are starting to develop their own personalities so they oh, have yeah. some of their parents traits but they're also just for lack of a better term, they're just weird little kids. Like they do things, but there's no forethought. So you get to watch those odd interactions where one of them might take a toy and the other one looks at them like, somebody going to yell at you about this? I don't (laughs) They just, they have these great little interactions and I like it a lot. It's funny to watch JJ around the other kids because JJ, he kind of knows what my rules are. And, and what our rules are. And I, I don't rule with an iron fist or anything like that. And I want it, want the kids to always have fun. Right. And they do, I think, but it's so funny. Cause JJ's almost like a security guard. He's like, uh, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you're not supposed to grandpa Don't make me tattle on you. Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. When he sees somebody doing something that he knows they're not, and he looks at me like, "Are you gonna do something?" <laughs> we were in that that tree at Jameson's birthday party, the the big slide tree, and we're standing in line on the spiral stairs because like thirty people want to go down the big slide, and some little kid tries to walk by, and he stuck his hand out, and he goes, "Wait your turn." <laughs> yeah, was no, like, that's good. Oh my goodness. I mean, I, no, it's good, and there's no there's no harm in it. I just marvel at him because he'll like, uh, you know, like don't do that, and then he'll look at me like, "Are you gonna stop him?" Yeah, and you know, and it's never out of line, but yeah, he he knows what the he wants he knows to be the, hall monitor. Yeah, sure. he knows what the rules are here. Yeah, he's the he's the three year old bouncer. And out of That's- all the kids, like they're, they're all fun and unique in all their ways. But with him, and I, I'm sure some of it will be a blessing and other things will be a struggle that he's got to get through. I mean, he he's kind of OCD in that way, but he's the the most fun I have watching JJ is he's like the biggest thinker out of them all. So the wheels are always turning. Oh, yeah. That's where some kids are just like doing things irrationally running around. And with him, he's like trying to break it down like it's a problem and he's solving it. And so there's always, whether whether he's getting somebody in trouble or trying to stop them from getting in trouble or trying to fix something, it's like it cannot be undone. We need to have it done. There can be a mess on the table and he'll start stacking all the plates and everything else. Like he's, that's just how he is. And it's fun Even to his watch. hands clean. Speaking of OCD. Yeah. We um we had mentioned this movie in the past, and I actually just watched it again this morning. It's uh, the accountant. It's Ben Affleck. He's the lead character, um, and it's a 2016 movie. Really, I I mean I really enjoyed this movie. I mean, there's a lot of action in it, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen it. But it's one of those that it's good to rewatch again. I've probably seen it, I don't know, half a dozen times maybe. And it's been out for six years. But 
because I knew we were going to talk about it, I watched it again this morning. And he is a high-functioning autistic person who is a, a, a counting uh, mathematician savant. I mean, and he, he ends up, um, his story is that he's a forensic accountant for lots of, lots of bad people that do bad things. He's any, he, you know, makes a ton of money, but he, you know, for years they, they talked about, the the mafia, the mob and how they had cash coming in from all these different things, um, rackets that they had. And there's all kinds of skimming that comes off of that, you know. Well, basically, these drug dealers, etc., arms dealers, people that, you know, were dealing in scads of money and basically counting their money by the pound or weighing it by the ton, um, they would hire him to come in and do forensic accounting on their books and see where okay, number one, is their money going away that we don't know about? And number two, how's it going away? And just a really neat story. He's, uh, he's raised by a military father. He was a colonel in the army. He was, they, they mentioned it briefly, and I picked up on it this morning. He had something to do with psychological training in the army. His father did. And so he teaches these, his, he has two sons, Ben Affleck has a brother. And in the movie, it's uh, played by a guy named John Bernthal. And he's been in Fury. He's, he's had, got quite a resume, but he was in that movie Fury with Brad Pitt. Um, he's, this is one of his better roles, in my opinion. Um, he's his brother in, in that he's not autistic. Um, and so, and being trained, you know, to deal with problems and, you know, uh, Ben Affleck growing up has a problem. I mean, he doesn't like bright lights. He doesn't like loud noises. And so his father's, you know, answer to that is, well, then he needs more lights and loud noises. And then he also gives them both, both of his sons, a lot of military training. Well, and, and but, his dad seeks out, uh, I believe, a therapist for Ben Affleck's character uh, early on in childhood or, or some sort of <laughs> specialist in, in um, special needs children. And, and that specialist is telling him, you know, you, your son's going to live a difficult life. He's going to need all this care and all of these things. And because of the dad's strict military background, he said, no. We won't be doing that because that's not the world he will be living in. Right. So his he belief just said, is that we prepare you for this world, regardless of what your abilities or disabilities are. And, and again, if you've got a problem with it, then you need more of it. So you right. learn how to deal with it. But yeah, it, he and his dad, even though the, the, the character that plays his father is not in the movie a great deal, he's in it some. And he, he's a very powerful character in this movie. And then, you know, the treasury department is, um, and, and because of his, let's go back just a minute, because of Ben Affleck's military training, and he was in the military too, um, 
and his, you know, uh, mathematic savants, he's, he gets into bad situations because he's dealing with bad people, but because of all this military training that he's had and this hand-to-hand combat training that he's had even as a child, he knows how to get out of it. And he's very familiar with how to get well, out. Well, and of his it. OCD makes him super meticulous. So there's always about everything. Everything's planned. Everything's organized. I know, you know, even down to he lives by himself. He has a knife, a fork, and a spoon. He cooks breakfast. He has three strips of bacon, three eggs, three pancakes. It's like everything is ultra organized. But, um, so anyway, he, he, because he's a very highly paid guy and he works for a lot of bad people, he knows how to get out of these situations with, and he knows his weapons. He knows, you know, hand-to-hand combat. He's had a lot of that kind of training. So he's very well equipped to get out of it. Now, another character that's a pretty powerful character in the movie, I think his name is J.K. Simmons. He's the guy on the farmers commercials. We are farmers, the ball guy, and the, on the farmers commercials that are on TV, and uh, a lot. And he plays a treasury agent who actually encounters, you know, he, he's chasing Ben Affleck. They know he exists. They know what he does, but they can't seem to pin him down. They're catching and, him like, uh, or chasing him, kind of like catch me if you can. Yeah, they're always yeah. one step behind and trying to follow the trail. Yeah, and and you know it's it's a really good story. Um, I th- I thought it was a great movie. I was shocked. You know, uh, the the on Dish Network that I have, you know, they have they rate the movies one to four stars. It was only a two and a half star movie. I that doesn't mean anything to me. Because I thought no, it was way better. No, most movies than we two. watch are two to two and a half stars. Yeah, <clears throat> and and movies that I really like. Um, but yeah, and at the end, um, he, you know, his and his brother, who's had also had all this training. You know, they grew up together, but they haven't seen each other in like ten years, and they actually come together again at the end of the movie, and they reunite on opposite sides of this situation and it's another money laundering thing and um it's uh has to do with um security exchange commission and stock sale prices and things like that and um his younger brother is on the side of kind of protecting this person and ben affleck's on the side of we got to go get this guy but in that in that movie, this J.K. Simmons, the farmer's insurance guy, who's the treasury agent, he says that you know because Ben Affleck isn't this evil person, but he he does some bad things, and he kills people in the movie. But this treasury agent says, um, and if you break his moral code, you know he he won't put up with it. We had talked a little bit a week or two ago about Tom Hardy in the in the drop having this moral code. I think there's a lot of characters that have this moral code, and even though they're doing these things that maybe you know some of them are illegal for sure, and well, it's like the vigilante violent. code. 
you know, it, yeah, it's like, well, it kind of <laughs> justifies his behavior because he's not like bad. He's not like a bad guy, but he does some bad things in that movie. I just thought, I thought that movie was super entertaining. It's another one that if you really want to, you know, listen to the plot, it's pretty deep and it's pretty, it makes the movie even better, but lots of action, lots of fighting sequences in the movie here and there. And, uh, you know, I just thought it was a really good movie and I think you felt the same way. Yeah. I thought it was a great movie. Uh, my, one of the biggest things I like about it is the, uh, <clears throat> the, his mannerisms as a person with OCD. I mean, I think we all have touches of this or that. And it's like, I've had somewhere like if I, <clears throat> if I'm walking by something and I bump my pinky on the side of a table, as I'm walking by, I have to go back and bump it again. It's just like, <laughs> there's, and it's like, I don't want one set of four. I want two sets of two. Like I, there's just things like that. And it, and it doesn't really hinder me in most cases, but you know, even when I was in sports, it was like when I was getting ready, one of the things I did was I licked the tip of my fingers on my left hand, then my right, then wiped them on my shorts. And I had to do it every time before I did something. Um, not like in between every play in a football game or anything like that, but if I was high jumping, it was before every jump or to start a basketball game, I did it or after a timeout or whatever. Um, so like there was a lot of things that I found relatable and he does... Uh, before he picks up a pencil or before he picks up any utensils, he puts his fingers together and his thumb against those fingers and he blows on both blows hands. On like he's going to roll dice or something. Yeah, yeah. and, and it, you can just tell. And one of the other things that I think he does very well, um, and, and this to me was one of the more noticeable traits that you see in someone who has a more severe case of a autism or OCD um, that they captured really well is that when <clears throat> someone who's that calculated and has a plan for everything, plans for all these variables, and when a variable that is not in their plan is introduced causing chaos, their way of dealing with stress, you can kind of see like their jaw bones flex and their eyes start to blink because they're trying to solve the next problem. And they're doing like this rapid blink, like, I, why? I didn't do this. Don't, why, why are you here? You're not supposed to be here. Right. Uh, and, and so he captures that essence really well when something gets introduced that he wasn't expecting. And you can see the stressor with his personality, but then he finds this way to solve it really quick. And I just, that part of the movie, that's what really captured me is that they took his quote unquote disability and, and put it on display, but made it his greatest asset. You know, one thing that intrigued me and I, and I noticed it today because I hadn't watched it in a while, but I noticed it today is that he knows what he is. He yes. even describes that he knows his condition. And he even describes it to the girl that he meets at the, at the robotics place. He even describes what he is to her, you know, that he has, he has trouble interacting with people. He wants to do better, but he's just always had trouble. Like, and, and, you know, throughout the movie, he has a, 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 a variety of aliases and they're all former 
genius mathematicians that go back to like the 16, 1500s. Yeah. And there, and he will assume that name and he'll have that name for a while, but because of his business and the people he deals with, he has to move around. So he keeps an Airstream trailer fully stocked weapons, cash, passports, whatever yeah. in a large storage, <laughs> in a large storage unit. Yeah. That girl yeah. walks into his trailer and sees the gun room in the back. Who are you? <laughs> yeah. He had a motorcycle back there too. But well, and, and he, with the the female character he interacts with, he does a really good job in like a passive pleading to her, to uh, along the lines of what you're saying, to let her know how to understand him, because right. he he's kind of getting this message across that it's like. I understand I walk and talk like a robot, but I promise you I am not. Like, I have feelings like a human being, too. I just don't have the ability to express them. And so she starts to build this connection with him because although he may be a little more dry and stone-faced, she is starting to understand the emotion wrapped into his actions. Well, when he runs into his brother at the very end, and, you know, and they didn't, they didn't know they were going to meet in this way. And they're actually on opposite sides about this. And they run, run into each other and they find out, you know, that they're dealing with one another, having not seen each other for 10 years. And the brother actually tries to whip his ass, you know, and, and he doesn't. But, you know, and Ben Affleck kind of lets him beat on him for a little bit. He lets his brother beat on him for a little, and then he stops him. And his brother just kind of sitting there and he's saying, you know, all this time and you never called me, aren't you happy to see me? And Ben Affleck, very stone-faced, he goes, I'm happy. And his brother just like starts laughing. <laughs> he goes, you're a weird dude, man. Yeah. But that's, that's his... That's his, you know, that's his persona. And, and, and so it, it you, also you, showcases that skill set, though, which I, I thought yeah. was a cool part of that movie because although his brother is probably very good at what he does, it's like the, my ability, disability, whatever you want to call it, makes me better than other any other person on this planet. And so it's, it's a, like one of those things where his gift is a curse and it. He kind of shows his brother that in the end, it's like there can be mutual respect here or I can be forced to kill you, but there's no scenario in which you win. Well, and his brother even says something to him about, you know, beating on him. And, you know, and he just, don't you have anything to say about it? He goes, you know, he says, I'm a pretty dangerous person. And Ben Affleck says, you've made improvements. Very seriously. I mean, yeah. with no, no expression. You've made improvements. Um, but yeah. It, but it's very matter thought, of fact. Yeah, it's it. a really intriguing story about a real problem. And uh, again, obviously, there's a lot of dramatization to it. And that's okay. There's artistic license. And, you know, there's a lot of things that are, I don't, I don't believe, are necessarily real. But he is so singularly focused on whether it's weapons or whether it's accounting or whether it's learning martial arts he is so focused on things that he is you know he literally is a genius and um 
I just thought it was a really entertaining well, even when movie. he's loading Lots a magazine, pulling the charging handle on, on a firearm. It's like they don't show it on the screen, but you can just tell with the way his eyes are moving and the way he's looking at the gun that it's like he's understanding the entire assembly. You can almost see him like build it in his head and how right. this thing functions so he can be precise. And that is that is the the way I would explain his character is every single thing isn't just super meticulous. It's perfectly calculated. Right. And, and well, so, he's not going to yeah. do anything unless it is. He yeah. has to have that organization, that structure, and he knows it. And it, again, the, the kind of the sympathetic part of it, again, he has a good heart in the movie. He's not... He's not like an evil guy, even though he does some bad things. He's not an evil guy, but you know, he he this when he was telling the girl, you know, how he is, and he knows it and he wants to do something about it, but yet that's his struggle, you know. And uh I just thought again, I thought it was a really good movie. There's action if you like action, there's there's action in it. Um, lots of firearms in it. <laughs> and uh, like you said, his he makes you believe that that character, the movie kind of grabs you, you know, and you believe you believe that he is that guy. Yeah, it, when I was, uh, like, I watched bits and pieces of it the other day, and, and when I was watching it, it something that struck me um, that might, you know, if people like these other movies, they, it might entice them is that, his skill set is that of Jason Bourne, except for instead of adapting to every scenario, he's perfectly calculated every scenario. So he can shoot you, he can beat you in hand-to-hand -hand combat, he can outsmart you with a plan, but every single thing is perfectly calculated and he has that killer ability. And so it, it's just... I, I really think it's fantastic in the way that he's still kicking ass like he's Jason Bourne, but you're watching the wheels turn and, and these plans develop and his meticulous thought. And, and it is a very, very good movie. Um, I know that we were going to move on, though, from this movie to the to the NFL playoffs, but <clears throat> do you have anything left to say on that movie real quick? No, no, no. I'm, I'm fine with that. Okay, I was so actually, there's... you know, prepping to do that myself. So there's one more thing I wanted to bring up before we move on to the playoffs, and it's uh, Melissa texts me, and, and thank you, Melissa, for texting me because there was a story I wanted to share and I had forgot about it, and it goes back to um, the kids, the grandkids, and um, the play place. So we talked about Montana's birthday being at a play place. Um, this was not at her birthday. This was at another one near us. But every now and then, if the kids have swimming canceled or soccer canceled or anything, we try and get them out of the house, and Melissa will take them to different play centers around us. And one of them is called <clears throat> one of them is called Boogie Babies. And um, there, there's a little bit of backstory here that I'll, I'll keep it brief. But JJ and I, when we get playing around, he'll tell me he's some sort of animal. And so, I, or he'll say, I'm a certain type of animal. And I'll go, no, I'm not. And so he, he might say like, daddy, you're an elephant. And I go, no, daddy's a lion. Daddy was born in August. He's a lion. He goes, you're not a lion. And I go, yes, I'm a lion. Daddy's a lion. And he goes, well, what am I? And, and I mean, 
he was born in October. I can't even remember what it is, but it, I don't think it's an animal. And so I just tell him like, he's a tiger or something like that. So Melissa takes these kids to, to boogie babies and they go have a great time. They're having a riot. She sends me videos and, and she comes home and you know, JJ's just wanting to have a conversation. That's just kind of how he is. Sometimes he just wants to look at you and talk. And so he's talking to her and she goes, well, did you have fun at Boogie Babies? And he goes, no. <laughs> and she goes, you didn't. And he goes, no. She goes, are you lying? And he goes, no, I'm a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> and I, did, I know that's stupid, but his seriousness, <laughs> like oh. just being stone faced, like I'm a tiger. <laughs> That's it awesome. It just melts your soul, man. It was yeah. Just, he is no. Oh. There, I Are I you enjoy, lying? I really no, do. No, I'm enjoy a tiger. Him. I do. <laughs> I love that. Are you lying? <laughs> That's like one of those dumb jokes. Like, what do you get when you mix a brown chicken with a brown cow? Brown chicken, brown, brown cow. Chicken, brown cow. No, that's cool. Are you lying? I'm a tiger. <laughs> they're they're entertaining, man. They are. They're just yeah. they're entertaining. I love that stuff. And I, you know, you can't get enough of it. No, yeah, like, and I, so, some of it's only here for a little time, so it's nice to capture. It. That's it. So you got to enjoy it. That's that's my thing. But yeah, let's. And that's um, part of the reason we want to share it with you guys too, our audiences. So yeah, and again, going back. That's why we're, you know, we put the pictures out there to see kind of who we are and, you know, our family. And I'm really proud of our family. I am. I'm proud of all of them. And, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm where I'm at. And, uh, you know, that's when we show the pictures and that and show the videos. The, the By the way, the video that you had from Jacob's <laughs> wedding was fantastic. Uh, I just love that I was able to capture everyone so I didn't. I didn't have to pick on one person. Everyone was being goofy, so I got to include everybody in there. And we don't always have the most pictures of, like, you know, Wendy or Alan. And they were in there. And JP actually was in there for a second. Jen's late grandpa was there, Aunt Jan, all that stuff. So I, I just, when I saw it, I was like, I got to put this together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, no, that was good. And, and again, that's, like, who we are. I, I can't tell you, you know, at, at your... Yeah, I've I'm sure I've shared this before, but at all of your guys' weddings, I I can't tell you how many people came up to me afterwards, and people that I worked with, or people that I knew, they said, you know, I couldn't believe it. I never saw so many people genuinely having so much fun, and you know, those those are good times, man. Those are, and these with the grandkids, these are good times. So I just. I, I want to maximize all of it. You know, I it want is, to enjoy it. Enjoy it's one of those of rare moments that is very movie-esque. Like, we are loud. We are a big family. And we don't always get together, and everybody doesn't always get along. But when we do, it looks like one of those scenes from a movie where it's that great big family that everybody's like, oh, I wish I had that. When yeah. we're all together, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I have, I've had people come up and say, man, you guys know how to have a good time. I had one guy who I really didn't, he was a guy who worked with your brother and worked with Joe. And he just, you know, I ran into him a week afterwards. He said, I never saw so much joy in a place as I saw that night. 
you know, and, and it is, that's, that's what it's about. But yeah, this, the pictures are just to try and, 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 you know, we're toying with the idea of doing video and I know you and I have talked about it and maybe we'll do that. I, 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 just I don't know. Feedback from people. If yeah, you guys that'd be good. video, let us know. Yeah. The, the more we hear back, you know, the more we can change and try and fit what people like to hear and what they like to see. So if you like the pictures, if you like certain stories better than other, if you want to hear more about sports, less about sports, any of those things, you, the feedback is how we learn. So please help us. Yeah, not some cryptic message like my buddy Woody laughed. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, what's I mean, wrong with you? Well, I mean, what is, really, what is wrong with you? <laughs> if he wasn't different, who would he be, though? <laughs> I know. That's Woody. Well, That's why we love him. Well, when when we didn't know who it was, I told you my theory. Yeah. And that it was him. It made and perfect it, sense. Yeah, and that's who it was. I asked him, he goes, Yes. It's like, <laughs> <dude>. <laughs> but anyway, we, lots of football over the weekend. The yes, playoffs started, football. you know, and I watched, I mean, I watched large parts of every game, if not the entire game, of all the NFL playoff games. Now, Seattle and San Francisco, that, you know, San Francisco won and they ended up handling, but, but, handling them but the seahawks kept that close for a half and a little bit more and you know and then you've got the story of brock purdy the quarterback for the 49ers great story mr irrelevant now i will tell you jared for those who don't know mr irrelevant is the last player picked in the nfl draft and brock purdy Quarterback Iowa State was Mr. Irrelevant last year. And they I have will made tell you, it like a uh sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off again. No, that's they, okay. Go they've ahead. made it an award that semi is appropriate other times almost like unjustly draws attention to the fact that you were the last one picked, but like you get a jersey that's Mr. Irrelevant, and if you do anything successful, it becomes very big news because a lot of people are saying, hey, you hung around for that long because you're going to be a bust or just be an average player. So you got picked at the very end, and it's it's a reward at, on one hand, but it's almost like, a, you it's know. It's tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. It is. It, it's it kind of like a little bit of a slap in the face, but like, hey, we're happy to, that you're here. And so when this happens, when a Mr. Irrelevant becomes – successful or starts to be it always makes headlines and it's a pretty feel-good underdog story but i didn't mean to cut you off go ahead dad no they pulled away in the second half and i mean that team's loaded i mean debo samuel and uh brandon Ayuk and george kittle's healthy and then they got christian mccaffrey i mean he's got weapons and his coach that kyle shanahan that guy knows what brock purdy can do and so he doesn't ask him to do more than that and with all these weapons, they just pulled away. Now, just real quick about Brock Purdy, I watched him play at Iowa State, and they're one of those teams. They got a good coach. He's been a sought-after coach for several years. Supposedly, the Lions tried to hire him, Matt Campbell, before they hired Dan Campbell. And he's had lots of offers to go, but he's still at Iowa State. And Brock Purdy, you know, you could tell he had skills at Iowa State. I didn't know, like, I thought he could play in the league. I didn't in any way see this. But, man, he's got weapons on that team, and then their defense is stout. I mean, that Nick Bosa is a man. I mean, my God, 
that dude is terror. And then their other linemen are getting healthy. Fred Warner is all pro in the middle. They got good, they got a good defensive unit, a good running game, and great weapons, and a coach that knows how to manage this rookie quarterback. You know, you can't. Lots of times you can't just turn the whole playbook loose with a guy, and he is managing that masterfully because it's a little bit like, to me, it's like what they used to call the West Coast offense. The West Coast offense was built on short routes and getting the balls to playmakers in space, and you let them get yards after the catch. Well, they're doing a lot of that. He throws some... He actually threw some deep balls over the weekend. He looks really good, but you know they pulled away, and even with playing a rookie at quarterback, he hadn't lost the game yet. He's either six or seven and zero, oh, and one of them's a playoff win. And with that defense and those weapons, those guys are going to be tough to beat. Later on the, in the day, I watched the Chargers and the Jaguars. Well, before we move on to that, I, okay, I just want to ahead. say something about. Uh, Brock Purdy, one of the things that I appreciate that their coaching staff has done, and it's one of those subtle things. I don't I don't necessarily think they've limited the playbook too much. You know, like I don't I'm not saying he's got a hundred percent, but I don't think they cut it in half. Um but but what they've done is they've allowed the pocket to shift. Yes. And, and so for me, like Brock Purdy is mobile. He's got a good arm. He's accurate. And he's got very good touch on his passes. But he does not have a rocket like Stafford when he came out of college. So you can't force him to stand like he's Mad Stafford or, or if, you know, any of the, uh, I'm not saying Stafford's one of the greats of all time, but any of the greats, whether he's Peyton Manning or, or Tom Brady, whatever, you can't have him stand in the center and throw a 15-yard out that has to be put in the perfect spot because that is not the player who he is. But if you allow him to roll even two to three yards to that sideline to get his momentum, he's got great touch. So you just you give him that ability for the pocket to shift. You, you kind of redesign your offensive line to move a little bit where the flood patterns are kind of going. And it allows him to just gain a few more yards to make that throw comfortable. And I feel like they've done that perfectly. I think what he does, what Shanahan does, and maybe it limit the playbook is the wrong phrase. I think what he's done is he recognizes what Brock Purdy can do really well. Kyle Shanahan recognizes that. Yeah, we don't so call he, the play that always worked for he this puts team. Him we in call those the play spots. that works for you. Yeah, he puts him in spot in situations. And when you got McCaffrey, who's he's who's got a, a ton wide of receiver at man. Well, the receivers and tight ends speak for themselves. But when you have a running back that's got hands, I don't. I'm not even just talking about as good of a running back. I'm just saying if you've got one that's got hands, Darren Sproles did this forever for teams. It's a weapon that can't be replaced because. At some point, a safety or a linebacker is going to have to get matched up against this running back because you cannot afford to to play in the dime all night long or they'll run all over you. And so when that happens, it's a mismatch all day when you have someone of that speed with that hands, whether they're on an angle route, which it just puts at the linebacker at a disadvantage, or whether they're on swings or you motion them over to the slot. They're such a 
dangerous X factor that I really do think it makes it a thousand times easier on any quarterback, but especially a rookie quarterback, because your check down just became one of your most viable threats. And that to me is something that can't be replaced. But um, I know you were getting ready to move on to the Chargers game. So, so go ahead with that. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just want to, you know, kind of give my two cents about the, the 49ers and Brock Purdy. Um, the the Chargers are playing Jacksonville. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, who I really do believe, the more I watch him, I do think he's going to be a stud in this league. I really do. If he's and he's approaching that already. But in the first half, he had four picks. They were down twenty-seven nothing, and then right before the half, they scored and made it twenty-seven to seven at the half. Now again, you've got a really good marriage of a coach and a quarterback, Doug Peterson played for a long time in the league. He he spot started, but he backed up, I want to say Brett Favre and and others for a while. He was in the league for a while, but mostly as a backup. So he understands quarterbacks. And it was funny because Al Michaels and I think Tony Dungy were calling that game. I can't remember. I watched so many, but I think it was them. But anyway, whoever was announcing said at the half, they were basically making fun of the fact that, well, this looks, they didn't say it in these words, but this game kind of looks like a rout. And now we got 30 minutes of football left to broadcast. I mean, they, they said comments to that effect because right. it, it looked bad. Well, when they scored right before the half, I just thought, you know, I've seen the Chargers, you know, recoil many times before. And Justin Herbert's great, and that team has got some talent. There's no question, especially, well, all over the place. They got a good running back. You know, Keelan Allen played in that game. He was effective. They've got some stars on defense. I mean, Derwin James, Khalil Mack, and others, they've got some studs on defense. And But you could kind of see it. And then all of a sudden, Jacksonville came back, and they won that game at the end. They, you know, it was twenty-seven-seven at the half. The final was thirty-one to thirty, and Jacksonville won like at basically yeah, at, the, at, on the last play. Well, there was incredible like seven, six and a half or seven minutes left in the third quarter, and it was thirty to fourteen. I mean, it was just unbelievable how much they shit the bed, but. You know, you watch a lot more pro football than I do, so you'll know if this is true or if this is just kind of like an opinion I had from a few things I saw. But I feel like the Chargers have been like this forever. I mean, even when they had redneck rivers out there, it's like they they might have a Seems good like season it. and then they just shit their pants in the playoffs. It always seems like they under underachieve, regardless of where they finish. It always seems like they underachieve, and. You know, they've had a lot of talent, LTE and, and Phillip Rivers and, you know. Gates. Big Tony time. Gates. Big time. And and it's like, but they always seem like they underachieve. So, I don't know. I mean, I didn't see any blatant. You could just see them tightening up in the second half. You could just, just see it. It just makes you wonder, though, because we, we watch this with the Lions, right? So, so the yeah. Lions are a perennial loser, and... You know, we call it getting lionized because people kind of lose lose their motivation to play when they come here, and it's taken a lot to change the culture. But we had 
a shift in, in the higher up ownership, if you want to call it that. I wouldn't really call it a change. And we've done our best to to find the right GMs and the right coaches. And it's taken a lot to kind of shift the identity of this team. And you wondered how we could have all this talent all these years in a row, but we couldn't win anything. And, and you almost wonder if the same thing's got to happen to the Chargers. Is this not a player or staffing issue, but more of a culture issue? Because you you clearly have winning records, but but you can't. It, it doesn't mean anything when you get to the end of the season. You can't ever get to the end or or bring anything home. And so they've just done it so consistently that you almost sit there and wonder: Is this a culture problem? Well, you you have to. You have to, and their coach is in his second year. Um, Justin Herbert, I believe this was his third year, and, and he's the real deal. There's no question about that. He's really good. But there's something because they they continue, and you're right. This has been their story for not just Justin Herbert's time, for many other years where they just they end the year and you look at them and they underachieved. And you, you know, like I wonder if people when we watch players and coaches change so often, um, it makes you wonder, is it something inside the building or at their facilities where like the, the mentality changes, maybe two or people are too excited for the playoffs or, or maybe the players are excited and someone in the building's not, I don't know what the case is and I'm not trying to put the blame on any one person. I just mean, if you were able to be successful all season long and you have done this several times repeatedly and then, you know, underachieve in the playoffs, something's got to be changing. And that's where I wonder, does the behavior at the facilities or the higher ups they're dealing with or whatever change, whether it's excitement or not, I don't know. But there, you almost wonder if there's a shift in mentality and that's why the season doesn't carry into the playoffs. I don't know, but there's something there because that you're right. That is uh, pretty much a constant. You know, there were there were three games on yesterday. The Dolphins, with their third string quarterback, a rookie from K State, gave the Bills all they wanted. Thirty four thirty one, they lost to the Bills in Buffalo. But I'll tell you, no, I watched that game. That coach, and he's a brilliant coach. They screwed the pooch in that game. Supposedly, he had, you know, he has an OC who calls the plays, and then later in the year, especially when they when Tua got hurt, the head coach had been calling the plays. I don't know if that's true. That's what I heard. I do know this: in a tight game that I was surprised Miami was in, because Josh Allen had. Two picks, I believe, and a fumble that turned into a scoop and score for the Dolphins. So if you look at statistics, the Bills dominated the Dolphins. But in the fourth quarter, they had burned all of their timeouts, and there was still four minutes left because they were about to get delay a game penalty. So they had, because the coach was so late getting the play in. And then when they had the ball with a chance to tie or win their last possession, they got two delay of game penalties for not, and they had no timeouts by then. So something's wrong there. But they gave the Bills all they wanted, I think, because that Bills roster is loaded. I think they'll snap out of it, and and they'll play bet like the team we thought we think they are. 
Um, but Miami gave them all they wanted, and I really thought there was a lot of coaching errors in that game. The Giants and the Vikes, I was really happy to see that the Giants... As a Lions fan, you got to be happy. Well, yeah, and, and the Giants beat the Vikings uh, 31-24. Now, <clears throat> the Lions have beaten, they beat the Giants head-to-head and handled them regular season. They beat the Vikings once and should have beaten them twice. They should have beaten them in Minnesota, but they beat them by double digits. And they beat the Jags, who won a playoff game, and they handled the Jags. So, I mean, that does make me feel better, and I have no love for the Vikes anyway. No, so, and I, I think the Vikes were, they're overrated. It's not the right term, but I don't think they're as good as everyone thinks they are, and only because the Vikes are a pretty good team in a really bad division, in my opinion. And so, you know, if we're... Had the Lions caught traction earlier instead of losing six games early on, the Lions are the better team here. Um, you know, I, and b- between the Vikings and the Pack, that's you know that's kind of the top of what's been a fairly abysmal division for quite a while. I, I feel like that's safe to say. Maybe you disagree. I I wouldn't say abysmal, but it hadn't been the strongest for sure. Yeah. So I mean, I wouldn't fight you, you know, uh, I just, I just don't know about Cousins. Cousins, like I'm looking at his stat line. He was 31 out of 39 for 273 and uh, two touchdowns. He always puts up stats. Hawkinson had 10 receptions for 129 yards. J- uh, Justin Jefferson, who lots of people and I wouldn't fight him on that, says the best receiver in the league. Seven receptions for 47 yards. Cousins always puts up stats. He always so does. So he's Tony Romo. I, I'm not kidding you. I I just wonder about that. And, and again, I don't know. They won a ton of one-score games this year. Again, they beat the Lions in a game they shouldn't have won. Yeah, but eventually your luck runs out, right? You can only chance well, at some And they time. did that like... They did that multiple times this year. So they were on the, I don't want to say they're lucky, but I, it seems like they were because the Giants go into Minnesota and, and I mean, and they beat them. And well, then the last, go ahead, go ahead. That's I'm good sorry. enough to get by until you play a good team. That's And different. you know, the one thing I noticed about this and it, and, and it's been like this for years and I think it's this way in any sport. I really do believe this. In the four major sports, the intensity level of a playoff game, whether it's baseball, hockey, basketball, or football, is so much higher, especially in the, at the pro level. The intensity level just increases. That's what I, that's the it first thing like I think of tenfold. when you say, that's the first thing I think of when you say they won a lot of one score games is it's like, okay, you beat people who, Let's be honest. In most professional sports, there there might be you might get a hundred percent in the fourth quarter, but it's seventy five percent most of the game. And once they get to the playoffs, and everybody's got something on the line, a motivation to give it their all. 
it's like if you won a lot of games by one score, there's a pretty good fucking chance you're going to lose right now because if you're barely beating that team when they're kind of trying, you're going to struggle with them when they're really trying. And that's you know, just kind of how I look at it when you're oh, in it, a one score game. The intensity level is for sure different. You know, the, the last game last night, and there's a game tonight, Dallas plays Tampa in Tampa. But the last game was the Ravens and the Bengals. And, you know, Joe Burrow's really good. Jamar Chase is really good, although he, you know, there was, he had several plays where I didn't know what happened. But, you know, John Harbaugh is just one hell of a coach. He's sitting there playing with a third-string quarterback, and they were in that game and could have won that game. And, you know, there was a... a I I really Alan and I were talking about it this morning. I hate it when they talk to the coaches on the sideline during the game or at halftime. I hate that. And I know yeah. the coaches hate it. And it was funny last night when they that Melissa Starks is on the sideline and she gets John Harbaugh. John turned into Jim Harbaugh for a minute. She's like well, what did you think of that latest last penalty? And it was a penalty on the Ravens. And Harbaugh just looked at her and smiled. He goes, I didn't like the penalty. <laughs> yeah. I, he, all of a sudden, he was turning into Jim. I, um, I mean, I always think of Lloyd Carr when he's like, well, yes. that's a stupid question. Yes. Because it, it was, you I mean, and you're in the heat of a football game, for Christ's sake, and this is their livelihood. I, I just I struggle well, with the fact that they have to do that. I, and let's let's be honest though. If 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 ESPN, if all these networks are gonna hire a retired football stars with decent reputations or better, get one of them over there. Right. It's, it's they not only will ask a respectful question, but they will be treated with respect. And I don't yes. mean this against any, you know female reporter no, it's or not anything, a gender but it's, thing. it's just like when you come over here and you got no business to ask me something and you ask me something ass nine that's just meant to fuel the fire boy i think you're pretty worthless well she followed she followed up with a question like and it was some and this was early i want to say it was at the end of the quarter i don't even think it was at the half you know because they make them do that now like they'll be talking what well, the game's going on. And they get fined if they don't do it. Yeah. And it's like, and she she follows up with a question like, and this is nothing against her. It's just like, you know, and, and they seem to be having a lot of luck running the ball or, or something like that. And, and it was just this, I'm not even going to remember the words, but he just kind of looked at her and hesitated and smiled. He goes, let's just see how the game unfolds or something yeah. to that effect. It was well, like, would you please stop? <laughs> that's why when they, you know, when I was saying like, get an ex player out there, it's like, they know the scenario you're in. They know the frustration. They're going to go, hey, coach, I know, you know, if I could get your attention for a minute, it's like, I know some things didn't go your way out there and there's got to be some frustrating things. What are some things you're looking to tighten up for the second half? Right. And it'll just be something where they can be like, you know, we've really got to make sure we stop the run in the middle. And, uh, we we can't give their quarterback too much time and then leave. It, you know, it'll be super basic, but it's like, come on. It's like you know the 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 yearbook answer would always be, and I think more coaches should do it. 
so they could put an end to this crap. It's like, we need to ball. run the ball, we need to stop the run, and we can't turn the ball over. End of story. There was somebody, I can't remember, <laughs> I can't remember who, maybe it was the coach that used to be at South Carolina, the like real chippy coach that was there. It was a college football coach, and people would come up to him and be like, so how do you feel about those two fumbles and that pick that your QB threw? And it's like, we got to play 60 minutes of football. And then he'd go into the locker room, and it's like, I love that answer. Yes. It's like, I, I don't know. I just, I wish they, I wish they wouldn't do it. I, I, I don't like the fact that they have to. Start and treating I, and them with respect and quit going for a fucking soundbite. And I and I really do understand why coaches don't like doing it. And I I think there ought to be more smart ass answers and maybe they'll stop doing it because it drives me I nuts. I think there should be someone hired like that's an assistant that takes that role. It's like if you are intent on interviewing us mid game, at any point during the game, I have a guy that the only reason he's on our staff our staff is to address your question. So that I can focus on the game. I, you know what? That's a reasonable solution. I just, I, I it, re, it, it's one of those things. It, it's so awkward. It makes me uncomfortable watching it, and I just, I get frustrated for the coaches. It's like, my God, <laughs> you know, and it's not like at the pro level. This is, this is their livelihood. We're talking about paychecks here. This, you know, and and now college is that way too, but that's a different story. At any rate, I got talking with someone about that the other day. I would like to touch on that just for a second. Just go ahead, get that that stressor out there for me. I have a problem with the NIL deals, and it's not as much of a problem as some people have for sure. But here's my thing. Why do we have a rule in which players have to play a certain amount of years in college if they can get paid in college like they can in the NFL? Why can't they just go? I don't know. I, 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 this is so much of the Wild West to me. But now. I mean, it's pretty stupid to have that rule now, don't you think? It doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, there was, there was like a, a, and I mean, it's happening in every sport. There was one of my buddies was telling me there's a catcher from another country, and he's a 16 year old, and he was just given 6.5 million dollars from an MLB team. Yeah, and it's okay. So I thought, and and maybe this is where I'm confused. So if you know more about this, please share. But I thought that not only for your physical well-being, but also for your emotional and mental well-being, the the two years in college or a certain age in college right. was to make sure that you were old enough and adapt enough to, I guess, able to adapt, um, that you were able to handle that type of money and media attention with some form of maturity and so that it didn't ruin your life. I thought that's what the intention of that rule was. I think that was certainly part of it. I do. I think that was certainly part of it. 
And and in, in my opinion, I think that was the biggest part of it. You know, the way I understand it, the NFL, it's 21 or three years. Like you have to be out of high school for three years or be 21 years old. And, you know, because there's lots of players in the league that entered the league and they weren't 21, but they had three years out of high school. And I, I believe that's, we can look it up, but I believe that's where it stands. I, you know, what you're say, what you just said, what you just described is I, for lack of a better explanation, that's my best understanding of why it is what it is, you know, why they, why they do that. But again, you know, what Michigan has right now, they have a thing called one more year and it's funded by boosters and donations. And it's like, if there's a player who's toying with the idea of staying or going to the draft, Blake Corum, uh, Trevor Keegan, both guys who decided to stay that could have gone and would have, like, they would have both been middle round draft picks. That fund, it's a consortium set up by the university. They have input from agents. And a variety of things that will say to a guy like Trevor Keegan, well, you'd be a fourth-round draft pick. Your salary, you know, because rookie salaries are structured in the NFL. So your salary would, and I'm just throwing out numbers, your salary would be 750 k Then what this fund does is say, okay, we can afford to pay you 500 k if you'll stay one more year. And Keegan and Blake Corum both did that. I thought that was a smart idea by Corum too, because now you get the ability to test that repaired injury in college before you go to the pros, which also means you can most likely have a debut and and compete in the combine. So as much as before the playoffs, I didn't think it was good for his draft stock to stay because it wouldn't get any higher. I think he has the opportunity to do it. And if he's as successful as he's been this past year, and stays healthy, then you're talking Heisman finalists. And it, yeah, I agree with you. And I also think that with Donovan Edwards, it's going to get, I don't think they're going to burn his tires off is what I'm saying. I think Blake Corum is going to, you know, he could potentially be certainly a Heisman candidate. And, you know, if he has the kind of year he had this year, he could be the Heisman winner. But I think that, there, he's going to get more of an opportunity. Donovan Edwards is going to touch the ball more. He's so good. He is. And and so I don't think they're going to run the rubber off of Blake Edwards' tires. But I think they Blake do Corum's need to, tires. I do think they need to put Edwards in the slot more frequently. Well, they may. That, that may be true. But, yeah, this – the whole NIL deal, I mean, we can get into the ins and outs yeah. of that because there's a lot of NIL stories. For sure. But we had we had talked about, you know, telling Allen stories. Here's an Allen story. And we'll, you know, in, unless you want to, do you have anything else that you want to No, do? I'm all okay. set. I think this is a, a good topic and to kind of keep a shorter pace, I, I think we can do this and then hit an outro if you're comfortable with that. I'm good. All right. Well, Alan and I, you know, we've done a bunch of motorcycle trips. We've done a lot of adventures over the years. And I can't remember. I mean, I don't think we were 40 when we went, we took the bikes and we went, uh, we rode all the way out to Gettysburg. We went through 
you know, the Alleghenies. And, and I mean, it was a great trip riding through the green mountains, riding through any mountains is fun. And, but we rode to Gettysburg. We're both kind of into history and all that. And, uh, and we wanted to go to the battlefield and we did that. We did the Gettysburg battlefield tour on, on motorcycles, which was actually cool. And you, at that time you bought a cassette tape and you put it in a cassette player and you put headphones on and it takes you on a tour of the Gettysburg park, you know, and there's a narrator and he says, and you know, and it'll say, you know, you come up here, you'll be at where Pickett's charge started and stop the tape. And then when you get back on the bike, you start the tape again and it says, take a left. And, you know, so that, that part was kind of cool, but you know, we would always, you know, especially when we were younger, we'd get some partying in. And I remember we had ridden, we, we, when we got to Gettysburg, the hotel that we had reserved was literally a half mile from downtown. Just a beautiful little, obviously historic town. I mean, there's still um, uh, mini ball holes in buildings at Gettysburg that happened during the Civil War. You know, and it really was, it was really crazy. But we, you know, you forget that when you go to a place like that, or at least I do, there are locals. I mean, there are people that live there all the time. You're going there on a trip and, you know, to see the park and all that. But there are people that live there, that live there every day. And our hotel was like a half mile away from downtown. And it's like 90 degrees, you know, it was hotter than hell. But in those days, I mean, you just wore full leathers when you were on the bike. I mean, we had chaps and everything. And so we're wearing all this gear and it's 90 degrees. Well, we check into our hotel, we go in, we, you know, do our thing during the afternoon. And then in the evening, we see this little bar and it's a little town circle it's like one of those roundabouts and there's businesses all around that circle and um there's a little bar called the plaza and we go in there and we're in full like leathers and i mean we're we're not the littlest guys in the room (laughs) anyway and i mean we're you know, we start, we have a few cocktails and I mean, we're having a good time. And then we start interacting with some of the locals that, that live there. I mean, they're there. These are people that are in that bar probably every day or every other day. It's their watering hole. And I mean, we took over that place. We were, we were loud. We had people, everybody is laughing. They had this container of beaten eggs, like the, they're purple, you know, like with beet juice mm-hmm. and they're pickled mm-hmm. eggs. Well, no. I had never had one of those and they're in a big jar sitting on the bar. So we each had a couple of those amongst a bunch of cocktails Oof. and we ju- are, we're interacting with these people and it just was a great time. And I mean, and it's a tiny little bar. There's probably 15 people in there. The whole place is in stitches. I mean, we just owned that place. It was so much fun. Well, we go out and we, you know, walk, you know, 
to another business on the circle when the bar closes and decide we're going to have breakfast. So we eat this gigantic breakfast, go back to the hotel room. Jared, the stench from the beaten eggs and everything else in that hotel room when we woke up the next day was abominable. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, I can't believe he ate it. <laughs> and then the, the we both did, and we both had more than one. And I think we had those pickled sausages too. That is danger. Well, it was, and it it, it certainly created the bad atmosphere in the hotel room. The irony is, is that the next morning at about 10 o'clock, the hotel room, the desk calls us because we had reserved the room for two nights. And I mean, there's this stench in the room that's not going to go away. I mean, it's just like the air is thick and the, the front desk calls us and they said, well, we're really sorry, but you're going to have to change rooms. Oops. We've reserved that room for someone else. And we're like, okay, yeah. where's the room? Right away. Yes, sir. No problems. Yes. I'd be glad to. And we're going to have to move you to a smoking room. Well, neither one of us smoked, but smoke had to smell better than what we were in. No shit. <laughs> and so Grab a cigar and the, change the flavor of the room. That was, that, that was the funny part. But that little bar, I'll never forget that as long as I live. We just, uh, I mean, and, you know, you get, tr- it's not even trash talking. It's just like teasing and needling people. Oh, yeah. Um, one of the one of the locals was you know a lady and she was you know our age we were in our i think we were in our 30s at that time maybe early 40s and um you know and she's like she was asking us from across the bar it's like where are you from and at that time he was in kalamazoo and i i said ann arbor michigan because people you know, if I Manchester, they don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But when you say Ann Arbor because of the university, right? You know, people will recognize where that is. And and it's like you know, I don't know how many drinks we are in, but a few. This was later on in the evening, and she says, and I said Ann Arbor, Michigan, and she goes, "Oh, Ann Arbor." <laughs> she like rolls her yeah, eyes, you crappy bitch. <laughs> and I go, "Where are you from?" <laughs> And she said some little shithole down in South Dakota. And I go, oh, sorry. We don't have the cultural background of, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Edgewater, South Dakota. I'm re- and so, and everybody in the bar is cracking up. But it just, you know, another one of those great times. We've had a ton of them. And uh, and we we definitely took over that place. People are buying us drinks all night long. You know, and you know, everybody's in stitches. The bartender's just having a great time. He's, you know, and you could tell these are locals. You know, they're they're in their lot. And, I just cannot know, believe you guys drank that much and ate those eggs, and the next day weren't worried about shit in your pants on a motorcycle. <laughs> I mean, like you, you know, well, you, your your farts are going to be bad we, enough with hard boiled <laughs> eggs, but beet eggs are you? We, we were younger then. <laughs> I believe I gambled in a lost. <laughs> like, yeah. We were, yeah. We were young. And, and you know, and, and recovery time was a lot different. So we must have been in our 30s. 
But I mean, yeah, I don't recovery. Care how time. young you are, your hold on gripping is only gonna last so long <laughs> that danger will Robinson. Danger. <laughs> I mean, that well, is a bold decision. <laughs> well, you know, I'm I glad it worked. Ever but... said we were rocket scientists, especially yeah. after a you few cocktails. Up a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, nobody ever accused us of high intellect, but. Anyway, that it was a great story. Story. It was the Plaza Bar, and just another one of those, uh, another one of those adventures that, and we've had many. And it was another great bike trip. You know, um, it sounds like it. I mean, you guys are notorious for having fun on those, but it, the the stories, they uh, <laughs> they're pretty timeless. So, I mean, that's <laughs> I remember it, and it was a long time ago, and I just. Uh, you know, we were both feeling pretty proud of ourselves the next day because we literally took over that bar. Two guys from Michigan walked into that place and we took over that bar. And we were the entertainment for the evening. But, oh, my God, it was, it was just tons of fun. And, you know, like I said, we've had a, we've had a lot of those. But uh, that, that was the latest Alice story. Now, I sent you, I emailed you a bunch of pictures. Okay. So you should have a bunch of pictures. Hopefully, maybe you can get some work, some of them in. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that we can show on um, when you when you get this podcast up. But I'm that's it for me. I'm good to go. Sounds good. Well, on that note, um, to all of our listeners out there, we appreciate you sticking along this far, and uh, we hope you enjoy the content. Obviously, any feedback you can give us would be great. Um, and, and other, other than, than smart ass feedback, Woody, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll take that too. Yeah, but, uh, to, to everyone out there, just uh, be safe, be smart, make good choices, and peace out. Love you, Dad. Love you too, buddy. Bye bye.